As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and we're going to start with some breaking news. Bruce, we had actually finished recording the, the entire episode, and then the news dropped. Auburn firing Gus Malzahn. On a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked are you? Uh, five? <laughs> yeah, it's impossible to be too shocked. With yeah, him. and it, it, it's true. I mean, he's been on the hot seat and off the hot seat for like four years now, so... It's not shocking. Um, I think the thing that's interesting here as a subplot is if I'm Tennessee, I'm if I'm Jeremy Pruitt or Full Fulmer, I'm a little bit edgy right now because the candidates, I think they're going to be, they're eyeballing for if Jeremy Pruitt couldn't win in 2021 um, are the same guys Auburn's going to go after. And Auburn's got a lot of money and... They've had, honestly, they probably have had more recent history of success, certainly, than Tennessee has. So it's getting pretty spicy in the SEC now. I mean, so first of all, let's just note that they're going to pay $21.5 million to buy out Gus Malzahn, 50% of which is due within 30 days. So anybody who thought, and I admit at one point I thought this, that this was not going to be a normal coaching carousel because of the pandemic, and eh. Just means more in the SEC, even if that more costs $21.5 million. Am I crazy to think this is entirely about one guy? Auburn wants to beat Tennessee to Hugh Freeze. Uh, I don't know if it's just that. I heard there's some other guys that they have a lot of interest in as well. So I don't think it's just that. I think it's right now. They think it's time to, time to go. And just lack of confidence that Gus Malzahn is going to get it going any more than he had it and i think they're just decided like we got to make this move now and um you know to what you said a minute ago about um not expecting the carousel to spin once south carolina ate 15 million dollars to get rid of will muschamp uh i think all bets are off and i think people in the sec knew that it was it had a chance to get crazy and look auburn I mean, the crazy thing is we're only a year removed from him winning the Iron Bowl again, the third win in that. But 
they, they want more than that. They want SEC championships. And clearly, the, the, the gap has not closed. Alabama's still Alabama uh, after a one-year pause. And Auburn is 6-4. and four, And I think that um, you know, the initial optimism around Bo Nix has cooled off. Um, you know, hiring Chad Morris didn't seem to make a big difference. They do have a great freshman running back. But, um, yeah, I think that... The reason I'm I'm kind of thinking Hugh Freeze or Boston, maybe I'm wrong, is he I mean, Nick Saban is on record that it was Hugh Freeze who gave who gave him such fits, who beat him two years in a row and brought that style of offense to the SEC. It was Hugh Freeze, more than anybody, that caused Saban to rethink his whole approach to offense and why he went from being a traditional huddle team run the ball 50 times a game play good defense to what you see now so if you're auburn and your whole obsession is to beat alabama that seems like it would start with the guy who has in fact beat alabama okay i'm going to give you four options here they all have connections to nick saban in one way or another freeze is the the one that's least connected but obviously connected to him for what you just said and also he's beaten him multiple times um, the second name is Mario Cristobal. He's done well at Oregon. He led them to a Rose Bowl. He is a Nick Saban assistant. He can recruit with anybody. Um, I have heard that Auburn has real interest in him. Uh, the next name is Billy Napier, who's turned down some SEC opportunities. He is a Saban ass- former Saban assistant who's done a really good job at Louisiana. And the fourth name is Saban's current offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, who's also turned down some opportunities. I don't know if either one of those guys would be able to turn down Auburn. You only get one. Who would you hire? Billy Napier. I mean, I thought he should have gotten more serious consideration for South Carolina. Uh, I think he's ready to be an SEC head coach. He's got a great background. Uh, like you said, experience with Saban is a, is a huge plus. Um, Mario Cristobal, maybe if they were coming off, if this was last year and he was coming off the Rose Bowl, that would be a better sell. I don't think that's going to excite Auburn fans right now. Um, you think Billy Napier is going to excite Auburn fans? If he doesn't, then they've got really delusional expectations, right? So I mean, look so what he's rank doing. these for me. Rank those four in orders you you would want them. You have Napier one. Who's two, three, four? Wait, Freeze is yes. in this group. Oh, Freeze is the clear one. Okay, and okay. and. That's it's so not you go Freeze one, yeah, Napier two, and then Cristobal or Sark three, Cristobal okay. four. Uh, and that's nothing against Cristobal. I just don't think that just doesn't. I don't know something about that doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel like the right fit. Um, neither does Sark really, but I could see why they'd want to steal, you know, steal him from across the the rivalry. Um, now you're somebody listening. This might say, but Hugh Freeze NCA violations. Uh, he got caught doing some things he shouldn't be doing on a on a recruiting trip on a cell phone, and to which I would say they don't care. <laughs> if you can win, you're going to get that job. I mean, there was there was a report last week that Texas Tech might be looking at Art Bryles. Like, pe- people don't care. He he's he's done his time. He's gotten Liberty winning. Like that won't be a, a make or break consideration. I don't think. Uh, we shall see. Um... I think it's very, very realistic that Hugh Freeze will be back in the SEC before too long, whether it's in Knoxville or at Auburn. All right. 
you were just saying before we came on here, Bruce, you think that was the best Saturday of the season? Uh, I think it was the most entertaining uh, day of college football we've had this season. Uh, Saturday night was a wild, crazy, fun um there was uh, there was obviously some CFP ramifications on the line with what happened in Gainesville with Florida going down to LSU especially especially as depleted as LSU was we knew they were they were in rough shape to begin with and then just at one point they're they're basically playing like four string cornerbacks out there against the guy who came into the game Kyle Trask as as a lot of people's Heisman front runner so uh, let's start there. I mean, at what point did the UF-LSU game get on your radar as, oh my God, something something really shocking may happen here? Pretty early on. I would say when, when LSU had the crazy def- interception with where it deflected off the player, we didn't know if he was out of bounds or not. It was like one of those moments where you're like, huh. I wonder if this is just not Florida's night. It just this is not how Kyle Trask normally looks. He's missing Kyle Pitts, obviously, and something's gotten into LSU. Uh, now I'd be lying if I said that I thought I thought eventually Florida would would take over, and they and they did get you know eventually take the lead. But uh, what can you say? It's the it's the shoe that'll be heard around the world, and every other pun you want to think of. Uh, this will go down in history, I think, as one of the all-time craziest endings. Yeah, look, credit to Max Johnson, who's a true freshman quarterback, Brad Johnson's son. Uh, both their freshman quarterbacks have played, true freshman quarterbacks have played actually pretty well at times. TJ Finley, obviously the other one. But but to play like he did in the Swamp, albeit not in a full stadium, but still, you know, Florida's a top-five team, and he was in total control. And again, keep in mind, this isn't just an LSU team that was without like its best player, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. on defense. They just had, in the last two weeks, by far their best offensive player, Terrace Marshall, opt out. Then Eric Gilbert, who is then their next best skill guy, he opts out, or he basically uh, goes into the transfer portal and essentially is opting out. And so they're down to a lot of guys who weren't actually factors going into the season and they're playing with a true freshman quarterback who was the third string quarterback not that long ago. So to see that, I was like, all right, they're going to be competitive in this. But I left uh, the TV studios late in the second quarter because I wanted to see the second half. And I wanted to honestly see the second half of the UCLA-USC game. And so uh, I think it was a maybe it was a, a four-point LSU lead. And... Uh, Florida had just scored, and I was just thinking, all right, this is probably, they're going to be lucky to get to halftime in this shape because there was like two minutes left. And I was on the phone with Max Olson, and he was like, in the middle of the call, he was like, oh my God, uh, LSU just had a sack force fumble, and now they, they're probably going to get points with like five seconds left. And I was like, oh, all right, I still think Florida is going to come back and win. And then when Florida took the lead, I was like, I don't think LSU has it in them. Like, this is not a... This falls into the category of moral victory. But then, as you said, the completely boneheaded uh, penalty of the, for, to, give, to get them basically back on the field, and then LSU hits a couple more plays, just 
to think a kicker, and this is a good kicker, but still, I think he's going to hit a 57-yarder on the road. Um, In the fog. Yeah, I mean, the fog. You I mean, even mentioned the fog was, was yeah. how much the fog played a factor towards the end of that game. Well, I think the fog plays a factor if you're trying to catch a punt or catch the pass. I don't know if it plays as much of a factor if you're kicking a football. Like he said, he couldn't even see it go through. But obviously, um, yeah. you know, all the credit to Cade York. That will go down. It's funny. The the guy who was right before him, uh, Cole Tracy, had like one of the most clutch kicks in their history at Auburn where he won a game. This, obviously... The difference with them between being three and five and four and five, notwithstanding, but just fifty-seven yards is insane. That wasn't like a fifty-yarder; that was almost sixty. So, and he drilled it. He could have made it from further. Yeah, I know. Um, so, w- spinning it forward, obviously, brutal loss for for the Gators. Brutal loss. You know, who knows what this does to the Heisman race? If you're Kyle Trask. Threw a pick six before the other interception that Jay Ward ended up making, where it was on the deflection. That was a pass that was definitely thrown behind his receiver. Um, Dan Mullen's comments after the game did not sit well with a lot of folks. I'm sure they probably didn't resonate well with people in Columbus, Ohio, for sure. Um, I don't know. What would you make of that that aftermath? Um, okay. So we have criticized Dan Mullen on here before for post-game comments. And obviously, given he had just lost, in in in, in the way he had lost, where um, Marco Wilson, you know, I don't know what to say. The guy, the guy's going to go down in infamy. But so he comes off as a whiner, right? But he's not wrong. Uh, as we get into this last week of the season, it it it's starting to really sink in how crazy it is that we are going to put a team in the playoff that has played five games, five games. They may be one of the four best teams, but we just don't know. And so I don't think he's wrong to say that it's a this, this is a little bit screwed up when they're playing their 10th SEC game of the season. And I'm not saying Florida should be in the playoff. I mean, I think some of the things that had been lurking under the surface, especially about their defense, you know, got exposed in this game. But they're playing their 10th SEC game of the season. Ohio State's home again, you know, sitting at home again because they got a game canceled. And they're they're winning in, right? Win a game and they're in. So uh, it is. It's a very screwed up situation this season. I don't think he's necessarily wrong, even if you don't like the way it came across. Um, let me ask you this, because I've seen people completely dismiss this as possibly. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But if Florida were to beat Alabama, Alabama is everyone's clear number one team. And they would be the SEC champs. I get it. They just they lost to, to Texas A&M, and now they lost to a really bad LSU team that was nowhere near like a close to roster. You know, um, do you think that you know when people get in the moment, they say a lot of stuff like when something happens, it's oh they're you know they have no shot. Then all of a sudden, when something actually like would happen, you know, in the moment. Um, they usually end up changing their minds. You really don't think there's no. Ch- you really think there's a, absolutely no chance, or almost a, almost a zero chance that if Florida were to beat, and I'm not saying I'm asking you what the chances are of them to beat Alabama. I'm saying if they were to beat Alabama, you really don't think they would they would have a shot of getting in the playoff. I I um <laughs> I'm always reticent to say somebody is done. They're done. Like how many times did you hear that Saturday night? They, that, you know, they lost as a 24-point under. They're done. 
you know, right now, sitting here right now, it's very hard for us to imagine Florida beating Alabama. So it's hard to picture what our mindset would be if they did. But Alabama just completed a season, an 10-game SEC schedule in which they won by like an average of 33 points a game. They are they seem completely untouchable. So if Florida beat them, I think there would be some strong push. There'd be a lot of re, you know, it, it's it's you're no longer detached. You're no longer sitting here, you know, just kind of looking at it from a detached perspective and saying, oh no, Florida wouldn't deserve to be in. They would have just beaten Alabama. Now, here's the conundrum for the committee. If you're going to say Florida is now a what nine and two SEC champ, they should be in. What about the A and M team that beat them and only has one loss? But then if you know, like it's it's kind of reminds me of the uh, 2008 situation with the Big Twelve, right, where they mm-hmm. all had the same record and they'd all beaten each other uh, to to determine the division champ. It's not quite the same because these teams don't have the same records. But in that situation, they would be one and one against each other, all three of them, and one the team with the most losses would be the one that's the champ. Like I don't think that's an easy thing for the committee to figure out how to order them. It's easy to sit here right now and say, well, they would Alabama would still be the top team, right? Cuz they 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 were, they would be 10 and 1 and they they crushed everybody up until that game. But then it happens and you see it with your own eyes and you're like, "Ah, oh, wait a minute. Maybe how are we not going to reward Florida? They just beat that team." Yeah, I don't know how to unwind that. Obviously, there's other factors going into it. I mean, I don't foresee a situation where you'd have all three of them in. Let's say Notre Dame blows out. Um, no, don't worry about it, blows out. Let's say Notre Dame beats Clemson, and then your alma mater beats Ohio State. I mean, and and if I don't know if Florida would win, because you really have three SEC teams in. I mean, that seems kind of preposterous, probably to a lot of folks. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how that's possible. Um, but there is a comp, there is one comparable situation to this. Like we have seen with the with that Ohio State Penn State year, where the team that won the head to head and had and had one, but had one more. You know, Penn State had beaten Ohio State; they were the Big Ten champs. But Ohio State got in instead of them, and that's what this would be, right? Florida would have beaten them. They'd be the SEC champs, but they'd have one additional loss. But that didn't happen in the last game of the season. We've never had a team lose the last, you know, the conference championship game and then get in, uh, right? Am I, am I, I'm remembering that, right? We've never had a team lose the conference championship game and get into the playoff. So it would be, be an unprecedented situation. Sitting here right now, I think Alabama would still have the strongest case. But you're right. People might get caught up in the moment if uh, Florida actually pulls that off. I don't think Florida's going to pull it off. I wrote this Sunday morning. Alabama has had an absolutely incredible season, and I, I'm not sure. I'm always, you know, a little cautious about these kind of things, but I'm just not sure anybody can touch them. Uh, they have, and one of the scariest offenses we've ever seen. And as the season went on. You know, some people just keep remembering that Ole Miss game. That was so long ago. As the season went on, their defense ended up becoming dominant. Not just good, dominant. So um, that doesn't bode well for Florida. Their defense is probably going to get absolutely shredded uh, by Mac Jones and those guys. But um, but it's fun to toss around the scenarios nevertheless. 
Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Stu, the other game that was going on Saturday night that was so much fun to, to watch was USC-UCLA. I think uh, both teams are... USC is the best team in the Pac-12. Um, I don't think they're the best team in the Pac-12 by a lot, but they do have a really dynamic offense with a terrific quarterback and a really good bunch of receivers, and that showed up. And UCLA is much improved. This is year three for Chip Kelly, and I think they're close to as good as anybody in the league now. Their defense has gotten much better. DTR is is really gifted, and we saw them move the ball, I don't want to say at will, but pretty easily on USC throughout. I mean, it was a fun back-and-forth shootout. Um, you Nobody's talking about USC. I shouldn't say nobody. USC has the same record as Ohio State. Now, they don't have a win as lofty as beating Indiana. I mean, should USC be anywhere near this conversation? Um, it's, it, it did suddenly become a topic, it feels like. Well, first of all, credit to our colleague Ari Wasserman. He wrote that col- column the day after the rankings came out. Why isn't USC getting more serious consideration? And then suddenly this ESPN um, playoff chance thing popped up on Saturday night, and suddenly USC had <laughs> better better odds than um, A&M or Clemson. Do you th- is, by the way, is that a real thing? I mean, I know, it's, I know it's actually out there, but, like, is there actually – math that has gone into it or is this kind of like how i would do my preseason 
uh, conference standings and they would never add up to the numbers that they were supposed <laughs> to be like is that like I don't like is this the there fans is, yeah. tabulating these numbers like I'm looking at this going I don't know if I this seems all it's, that plausible there is so we have a little bit of insight into it because we have somebody on our staff who used to work in that department at ESPN I think what's happening is like first of all it's a completely silly thing in the first place to try to put a percentage on something that is completely subjective uh, but they're basing it on precedent and the factors the committee considers. And their fundamental flaw is they, at, well, whoever designed the formula put way too much emphasis on winning your conference. Somebody somewhere heard them say conference championships matter and like gave it 40% of the weight or something. That's why USC vaulted up because they clinched a spot in their conference championship game. And, the, and that formula is saying, well, History says that if you win your Power 5 Conference Championship game and you have zero losses, you're going to be in the playoff. And not accounting for the fact that this is a completely unusual season and they would not fit the profile of, of any of those uh, previous teams. They would be 6-0, and not 12-0. and uh, I think they should be ranked higher than they are. I can't sit here with a straight face and say I think they're possibly one of the four best teams in the country. Um but I also can't say definitively that Ohio State is. I mean, we're just going by, well, Ohio State beats these teams more soundly than USC beats their teams, right? So uh, so they're definitely better. We, we don't know for sure. But the fact that, you know, they are, their game, this is the third time that Keaton Slovis had to lead uh, a last-minute game-winning drive, which is great, good for them, clutch performance. But it's not like they're doing that against, Clemson or Alabama like I just don't think their respect level is there I mean one of the teams that they had to survive was Arizona who is terrible and just fired their coach so with the small sample set of just five games and three of them were decided in that fashion it's hard to take them more seriously no I agree I mean that Arizona game is in people's minds it definitely was in mine if you've watched them um you know they looked amazing in the, in the first half of Wazoo um, and then the rest has been been a lot of a lot of back and forth games. Um, what is interesting, you know, I don't know if it's exactly a year ago, but let's let's flip the calendar to like December thirteenth, twenty nineteen. I'm not sure anybody would have anticipated Clay Helton's seat being cool, like very comfortable, but here we are. Well, the best thing that happened to Clay Helton was the cancellation of the non conference games because. In, in an original You don't think they schedule. would have beaten Alabama in the opener? No. I think that they would not have beaten Alabama in the opener. I don't think they would have beaten Notre Dame this year. And that, you know, you're there in L.A. You know USC. Like, the reason Clay, Clay Helton could win the Pac-12 championship on next week, I don't, you know, USC fans will be happy and they'll celebrate that. But that's not what their ultimate goal is. Their goal is to be, to be what Clemson and Alabama are. And... To this point, he has not shown they can they can do that. They usually they often fall they often get embarrassed in those non conference games. And so, let's say they had let let's let's play it out, Bruce. Let's say that they played their full schedule, and I'll even say they go under they go undefeated in the Pac twelve. But it's a bunch of you know these last second miracle plays. But then they get blown out by um, by Alabama and Notre Dame and are never really seriously in the playoff race. How would USC fans feel about that season? Uh, pretty ticked off, pretty unfulfilled. 
I mean, I think there's a big chunk of them that look at this and go, and the Pac-12 is really down. Yeah, it's nice you're 5-0. and we, en- we enjoy that we get to stick it in UCLA's face. But I don't. I suspect anybody who was was not confident that that Clay Helton should be their head coach. I don't think anyone's changed their mind. I could be wrong, but I suspect they don't. But you know, I mean, look, he, you know, I think you know he's done. A, he and USC have made a lot of very shrewd moves and upgrades it, over the course of the past year. And I think that's somewhat reflected. And if you look at Keaton Slovis is going to be the quarterback next year, and I assume that though they're going to recruit a lot better this year than they did last year, at least rankings wise. So the program is probably in pretty good shape going into twenty twenty one. Now, pretty good shape does not mean they're ready to beat Alabama, but I do think they're in better shape now than they've been in quite some time. Yeah, well, I got to give Clay Helton a lot of credit in that he has dug himself out of a hole in a way that you just never see. Like once, once the fan base has turned on you to the extent that USC's had, uh, you're lucky. Most of those guys don't survive the next season. And and we're now looking at, uh, you know, the losing season was in 2018. Everybody thought he'd be fired then. He wasn't. He comes back the next year. They have an okay season. But again, it becomes Mike Bowen gets hired as AD. And is he going to fire him? Is he not going to fire him? He gets another reprieve. Now it seems like pretty sure he'll make it into yet another season. So uh, he's uh, he's got nine lives, that's for sure. And I do think you're right. I think they're they're in better uh, they're in a better place than they were. Keaton Slovis gives you a lot of reasons to be excited about them, but he's still um, not out of the woods. Kind of like another guy who uh, whose AD had to put out a statement about him on Saturday. Right? We should probably mention the Tom Herman situation because yeah. we talked about it at length on here before. Just yeah. kind of snuck, Chris Del Conte just kind of snuck that out there on a, on a busy uh, college football Saturday. He did, and it was a somewhat cryptic, if that's not an oxymoron, a somewhat cryptic um, statement where I think it was, from my understanding, kind of intentionally vague uh, in how the wording is. And now look, early signing period starts in a couple of days. So I think they needed some element of of a uh, approval that Tom Herman is in fact that they do have a head coach and that there's not like an open coaching search going on. Um, we talked about Urban Meyer on here, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago. I don't even know. It's all blurring together a little bit. But I don't know what to, you know, I, I, if this was about as tepid a vote of confidence and a... Yeah as intentionally vague as you're probably ever going to get in one of these statements. I mean, it's never a good sign when your statement is so vague that you you put out a statement that would normally be interpreted as, okay, the, he's back. He's going to be back next year. And immediately people are like, I'm not sure that's what that means, actually. Yeah, and look, I think that's just a reflection of, as you said, of where this where the program now seems to be. I don't know. You know, we just talked about Clay Helton. If, if in fact that Tom Herman is the head coach, you know, in for the 2021 season, I, good luck recruiting against other people in that footprint because it's just going to be, um, it's going to be a hard sell for them to feel like you have any, any stability there. I just think that that's, and that's just seems to be a reality of the way things are gone, the way things have gone there. All right. So we had a couple other 
you know, the, it's interesting. I wasn't sure if, if the schools that are going to fire their coaches would do it this weekend because what are the recruits that are – signing day is Wednesday. If you're an Arizona commit, if you're an Illinois commit, can you really sign on Wednesday after with no coach in place? I don't know. I mean, but you, I don't think you're if you're a if you're an AD or a power broker to school. I don't think that's the reason why you don't make a big decision because oh, recruiting is coming up on the heels. And a lot of times, if you you know, I've talked to enough people now who are on the decision making side said that first recruiting class, if you're changing, is a probably a lot less um, prop lot less monumental than most people think it is a lot of times those end up being washouts and that kind of thing yeah it's become a kind of a it's become a lot harder for coaches taking over because that first class is is almost a lost cause um all right arizona the kevin someone thing was a big bust i thought he would do better it just nothing ever there was never any momentum or any buzz around that program and obviously 70 to 7 was about as awful a uh, last impression as you could leave. Um, you know, I read your coaching candidates list. Uh, I'll let you go through it a little bit, but if you're handicapping it, who are the favorites right now? I would think the two favorites are Kenny Amatololo from Navy, who almost got that job three years ago. Obviously, we remember the Khalil Tate dust up connected to that. Um, and Brent Brennan from San Jose State, who's done a really good job this year under very, very adverse circumstances. Um, they're 6-0. and It's been a really good year for the Spartans. Brent Brennan had been a GA there for, I think, a season a long time ago. So I think those are names that start. Now, I think there's going to be interest from guys uh, from Jim Mora, who's now in TV, and Rick Neuheisel, who's now in TV, and Rick Neuheisel from Arizona. Obviously, those guys had coached in the conference and have bigger names. Uh, I'm sure there will be some support internally for Chuck Cecil, who had, you know, as a former NFL defensive coordinator, was a great player at, at U of A and has spent the last three years there. Not he's not been an on-field coach, but he's been around the program. And I, the thing I've heard is that. A lot uh, as this hiring process is going to unfold, they want somebody who they feel like uh, the boosters as well as the former players can rally behind because they just felt like it was completely detached from how things were going under Kevin Sumlin. It just he never was able to get really any traction there. And I'm with you. I thought it would have gone better than it did and then it didn't take long to see him to realize it wasn't going to go very well and it just just I think the writing was on the wall when um, their two best players uh, Tony Fields and Colin Schooler they thought that the Pac-12 was not going to play they transferred to the Big 12 both had really good seasons at different places and the defense they put on the field was horrible um, and didn't have much players. And so whoever takes over this job, I think is really going to have to grind on the recruiting front and upgrade because it's been a long time since Arizona has had a lot of players. Not that they've had good players, but there's been a long time since they had players that other people in the Pac-12 really wanted and Arizona beat them on. And with the way Herm Edwards is recruiting uh, at ASU, certainly with the way Mario Cristobal at Oregon is recruiting, um a lot of people come into Arizona. Washington has done that. Certainly USC does it as well, as well as UCLA. It's going to be a tough job. I mean, it's always been a tough job. I don't think they're going to, they're not going to pay a ton. 
So we'll see if somebody can get that place going. The one thing I will say is the Pac-12 is not the SEC on the top end. Yeah, we just talked about USC having a good year, but Colorado without like an eye-popping roster was 4-0 and till about 36 hours ago. So mm-hmm. I think coaches are going to look at that and go, you know what? I know you don't have great resources, and I know no one's really won there in a long time other than Rich Rod for a little bit, but I can compete in the Pac-12. I think I can if you if you do it right. So the question is going to be who's going to come in there with a plan and who's going to go full board to see if they can make it work. Yeah, I don't see why the right coach couldn't win at Arizona. Um, there, it's no secret that 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 state and in particular the Phoenix area is has you know never produced more talent than it's producing right now, just because of population shifts and demographics and all that. A lot of great players come out of Arizona, and you're not far from Southern California where there's a bevy of great players, and but they just haven't been getting them, and so my my, I don't have a name that fits this exactly, but I think, you know, sometimes you go out and you try to hire um, a, a great offensive mind or you try to go hire uh, somebody who's known as a great program builder or whatnot. And sometimes you just need to go get a really good recruiter. And I think this is what, one of those situations. So you mentioned Kenny Amatololo. I'm not opposed to hiring a, a triple option coach at a power five school, but I'm not sure this is the one that should be doing that. Because they're not at some huge, uh, they don't have to be at some huge talent disadvantage. They, they, with the right recruiter, they could get guys there. Whereas Illinois, who we'll also talk about here, to me, that is as simple as call Jeff Monken, offer him what he wants, have him come. I mean, <laughs> that one's a no-brainer to me. I could see him running some version of that at Illinois more than I could see Ken Niamatololo running that in Tucson, Arizona. The thing I wonder about, and again, Munkin's done a really good job at Army. There's a bunch of guys who who fit here. Real candidates who I think really do want the job to step into this program. Uh, and before I get to them, the one thing I was going to say is, like, Illinois shouldn't be at a huge talent disadvantage. First of all, Illinois has amazing football history. You look at some of the greatest people who've ever played the sport, some of them went to Illinois. Uh, you're in an area where there's a lot of recruits. It's pretty good. It's not like there isn't. It's not like you're completely off the grid. So to me, this isn't like well, Vandy's got to do it differently because of this or whatever. I I think I'm not saying they shouldn't hire him, but I don't think you have to go that way if you don't. Um, the guys I think are would be really really good fits. Uh, Lance Leipold has won everywhere he's been. He won big as a D3 coach, winning six national titles. He's done a really good job at Buffalo. I think he fits there. Uh, I think Sean Lewis is a different kind of hire for them. He's at Kent State. He has the number one offense actually in the country statistically. He's done an amazing job there. He's a former Wisconsin player. I think he would get people excited because he's he's a really good offensive coach and he's a younger guy with a little bit of edge to him. And Kent State was awful before he got there. And let him do a bowl win. Uh, our friend Brett Bielema. What do you think of this name for, for there? Do you remember how much he won at Wisconsin? Now he's in the NFL with the Giants. He's from Illinois. Obviously played it at Iowa. What do you think of him as a fit for Illinois? Uh, I think he, I think he would be great. Every name you just mentioned. This is why I think this Illinois situation. Like when they hired Lovey Smith, that was a head scratcher to me. 
When they hired Tim Beckman, we just didn't know who that guy was very much. When they hired Ron Zook, that was a definite head-scratcher. You could land a really good coach in this cycle at Illinois. And the reason I, I brought up Munkin specifically is he's from Illinois. He this you know When somebody says such and such is their dream job, he may be the one person who would call Illinois his dream job. Um, I don't think you have to run the triple option at, our, at Illinois, but I will say this. The Big Ten West is the one division in football that's kind of stuck in 1963, right? The style of play, Northwestern is going to the Big Ten title game for the second time in three years, and there are no um, NFL wide receivers. There are no, you know, they're, they're not, there's no uh, uh, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave on that team. They just play good defense, they run the ball, same formula, kind of, not exactly, but very similar to what Iowa does, what Wisconsin does. That's just that you can you can play that style of football at Illinois and win the division and win ten games. You can. Um, I, I think they will have. I think they will have some good options. And also, look, they you know in my story you have a couple of coordinators, Jimmy Leonard, obviously at Wisconsin, Marcus Freeman. I think both of those guys are going to be head coaches before long. Marcus Freeman's done a really good job three years in a row at Cincinnati. They've had the. AAC's number one defense. So I think that, like, if I was an Illinois fan, I'd be very optimistic about this, about what they could have. Um, it seems like there's more, you know, kind of A-list candidates that for them to pick from than Arizona. Like, I like Brent Brennan, but I don't know that he's... Um, it's a yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a wild card on Brent Brennan yeah. because he's had one really good year and it's happening in a pandemic. I mean, before that, I think his record's like eight and twenty something, eight and twenty nine. So I think that is a more of a, a more of an unknown. Um, you know, I look at this like I mean, Leipold's track record is really eye catching. You know, to me, this was a job that you looked at down the road and say, okay, this makes a lot of sense for for Bielema to get because he won I mean the guy won three big 10 titles in a row you know it's like I also think he's somebody that would get their fan base going like he when was the last time Illinois was nationally relevant in football uh when Simeon Rice was there yeah I mean it's a little after that but not no Kirk Kittner yeah right 2001 so I mean it's the Kirk Kittner Brandon Lloyd team Right, and they were, but it's been a long time since anybody really talked much about Illinois. So it doesn't mean they haven't had good players come through there. But and obviously Zook took them to the Rose Bowl one year. Um, but when, since they really felt nationally relevant, where people keep an eye on them, Brett Bielema would get them there. Uh, again, if, I'm not saying that's the end goal is for people to be talking about you always rather than just winning football games. But I I think this is very interesting because of all the guys that are. I think in play, and I do think these guys are interested. This is not like a lot of people going. Well, Sark should be the next head coach at Arizona. Yeah, well, if Sark didn't want Colorado. I don't think he's going to take Arizona, where they're probably only going to pay him not much more than he makes now at at uh, at Alabama. Um, Bielema, that he you know he tried to take what what worked at Wisconsin to the SEC, and it didn't work because you're playing against teams with. A bunch of four and five star recruits again in the Big Ten West. You can play that style of football and win. Uh, that is what the teams that win that division generally do. So, 
I'd be on board with that. I'd be on board with Munkin. I'd be on board with Leipold. Um, Sean Lewis, you know, maybe that works. I don't know. He's still pretty young. So that's, that's three, we'll say 3.5 guys that if they get, I'm feeling really good about. I just don't know who that is for Arizona. Yeah. Fair. But they better be able to recruit. That's all I can say. Yeah. They better, whoever they get, they better get somebody who's a grinder, who's hungry. I mean, because you better have that now. And yeah, I'm interested to see how these things are going to play out. I don't think they're going to scramble to get somebody by Tuesday night, though. No, no. And, and again, when I said brought that up earlier, I just didn't know if they were going to like do the thing where you wait for the kids to sign and then fire the coach and they're all stuck there. Um, so actually, I think it's best for everybody that they went ahead and made that known before people signed their names on the dotted line. But, um, you know, eventually you're, you, I mean, you are going to want to move pretty quickly to get that in place. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ready for some emails? Let's do it. And I just emailed those to you, by the way. Okay, I got it. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Jack from Erie, Pennsylvania. Bruce and Stu, I'm not saying he should be the front runner, but why is Ian Book getting no discussion for the Heisman Trophy? He engineered the biggest win of the season. He has 15 touchdowns, two picks, 2,400 passing yards, 465 rushing yards, and eight touchdowns. He shouldn't be penalized because Notre Dame has two excellent running backs. If Notre Dame beats Clemson again and he has a big day, shouldn't he be right at the front of the line? Uh, you know, no. I, I don't <laughs> want to go that no. far. No, I, here's the thing I feel on, on with Ian book. So last night I was doing my Heisman top three that we turn into for our weekly athletic poll to Matt Fortuna, who runs it. And I had a clear number one for the first time in a little while. And that was Devonte Smith. Um, I knew Mac Jones was going to be there. I looked at Kyle Trask again, bad LSU defense. I don't want to hold everything into one game. I'm also looking at going, do I really want three guys from the same conference on there? Now, granted, they've played the most games in major college football. But so I actually thought about Ian Book for a little bit, and he's had a really good year. But I don't want to say he's, you know, I can't put him over a bunch of other guys to be in that top three spot. Should he be a top 10 guy? Maybe. Uh, maybe a top 10 Heisman finalist considering what he's meant to that team I think that's I think that's fair I mean he's gone up against some really good defenses and played well um, right now and I don't put much in stats but he's ranked number 30th number 30 in quarterback rating in the country I mean I don't know you'd mentioned Keaton Slovis uh, you know half hour ago I, I don't know help me out Stu I mean I think he's a really good player who is it led them to a terrific season, but I just stop in short to say he should be a Heisman finalist. Not that it should be only stats, but his stats are pretty modest compared to a Mac Jones or a Kyle Trask or um, or Trevor Lawrence. And then, you know, if you're saying most outstanding, I'm I'm getting closer and closer to uh, convincing myself that Devontae Smith is the most outstanding player in college football, and it is harder. 
you know, to justify a receiver. But you know, he, he had a punt return touchdown um, in the game uh, against Arkansas. Like he, the guy is a, the guy is a human highlight factory. And to me that what he is doing as a, as a, in terms of skill is more outstanding than what Ian Book's doing. I don't mean to crap on Ian Book. He's a extremely accomplished player. He will go down to history, obviously at Notre Dame, but it's just not quite the same ballpark as some of those other guys we're talking about. Is Ian Book the best quarterback Notre Dame has produced in the last 25 years, Stu? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his legacy will ultimately be written by, you know, can he lead them to, is he going to win the ACC championship this weekend? Or is he going to lead them to a win or two wins in the playoff, right? But, um, yeah, is he the best? I mean, he's the winningest quarterback. I don't know statistically where he ranks against your coworker at Fox or my, some of these my other guys. But records are way above, beyond this in, in the books for whatever it's worth. But you mean so. you make his his passing stats, stats yeah. and whatnot? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Well, um, it is what it is. I just think that. I mean, what was Brady's big moment? Like, what was his signature accomplishment there? They, All right. I'm not. They this, lost to <laughs> this, I LSU stop you. in this the is, Sugar Bowl. This is hitting too close to home. So, all right. Wait, so. you brought it up. You go to. I me, didn't think so. you'd go there. I think you did. <laughs> I, no, I'm on. Let's the revisit it. I'm Let's on, revisit it after the postseason. I'm on the record. Brady is the best quarterback Notre Dame has had in 25 years. There, even if you didn't think that, you'd have to say it. Um, no, I, I think, look, I think Dane Christ is a nicer guy than Brady. I'll say that on the record. So. <laughs> if you were on the, if you, I mean, your colleagues at Fox listen to this podcast. If you came on here and said. Don't flatter your stuff. Ian I don't Book, think they do. I don't think they do stuff. Some of them do. Ian Book is definitely, you wouldn't be allowed back in the studio next week. No, look, um, no, I was actually surprised. You, I, I thought you forgot about Brady for a minute, honestly. Um. Well, I didn't forget about him. I may have forgotten about so Like, is there anybody else that would even be in the conversation? Uh, not Everett Golson, not no. Malik Zaire, not Deshaun Kaiser. No, I mean, Jimmy Clausen uh, put up numbers for, for a little Clawson. bit, but he's obviously not in the conversation. You'd have to go back, I think, to, to like Rick Meyer, who obviously was drafted really high. Um, was he before or after Tony Rice? He was after. He was in between. Okay. So, I mean, Tony Rice led him to a national title. Kevin McDougal is a really good quarterback. Um, so, I actually asked uh, our friend John Walters this subject uh, on Twitter, I don't know, probably a week or two ago. So, um, look, I think Ian has a much better supporting cast than probably Brady did. But, anyhow, moving on. Too much Notre Dame talk there for what our listeners probably wanted, Jack. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for me. Uh, Approaching that. Jonathan in Macedonia, Ohio. Gents, I love the pod. On November 21st, Cincinnati defeated UCF. They had all kinds of momentum. And the case was being talked about that the Bearcats legitimately deserved to be in playoff consideration. Then COVID hit. And now they're being talked about. I don't know. If, maybe it was say not then COVID hit. Because um, obviously COVID had been hitting. He means their team. Oh, I got you. Oh, let me start that over. All right, next question from Jonathan in Macedonia, Ohio. Gents, love the pod. On November 21st, Cincinnati defeated UCF. They had all kinds of momentum, and the case was being made that the Bearcats legitimately deserved to be in playoff conversation. 
Then COVID hit their program, and now they're being talked about as barely being worthy of the top 10 and not deserving of the New Year's Six Bowl. Is this simply a case of, quote, out of sight, out of mind, or is this narrative just meant to hurt their credibility, to support the committee, wanting a path for the Big 12? I feel like I'm going bonkers here. Stu, before you answer, Jonathan is hitting at something. I, I, I'm in total agreement with him, and I want you to untangle this because I do feel like the CFP show on Tuesday night is about, like, getting some talking points out there, trying to make it interesting, trying to find something that when a lot of times it's kind of going to be a, a, you're going to be met with a shoulder shrug. So what do you think is real here? And what do you think is just BS? Well, I haven't heard anybody say they don't deserve to be in the New Year's Six Bowl uh, or to be worthy of the top 10, but it does certainly feel like whereas that after that first ranking show, wow, look, they're the this is already the highest any, group of five teams been they're only three spots out of it like they may actually have a shot and that's just you never hear it they're never even mentioned now and all they did was drop one spot but i think he hit the nail on the head covid has made it such that a team gets a couple cancellations and they're just completely forgotten about and cincinnati has not played in three weeks by the time the committee does the final rankings it'll you know next week's game will be their first game in four weeks so uh i do think they've just kind of been pushed off to the side and and you're not seeing them same thing by the way is affecting texas a&m they didn't get to play that Ole miss game and they're going to finish with tennessee so they're not really getting any chance to kind of make some big final statement but i don't think anybody's suggesting i think there are people suggesting that both cincinnati and coastal carolina should be ranked high enough to go to a new year six bowl and i would agree with them i think they're both top 10 teams but i haven't heard anybody say that they're a total fraud and they shouldn't be in there Tulsa has a very good defense if they if they um not just beat Tulsa but score some points on them that's a pretty good last impression okay uh next question from Scott Armstrong in Louisville North Carolina of all the teams that fell short of expectations this year which team is the most deserving of a mulligan for things getting out of their control such as player availabilities availability, opt-outs, et cetera, and which team is least deserving of such mulligan? Good question. Um, I think that I would still say Penn State in terms of the one most worthy of a mulligan. I mean, they're starting to get their act together now, but they started 0-5 and the sky was falling, and I just don't think we necessarily, people fully appreciated just how much they to lose their... Um, the guy, you know, basically their whole offensive backfield, but most notably the guy who was being projected as a first-round pick in Journey Brown to lose Micah Parsons, uh, who was such a huge difference maker on defense. Um, this goes like, people don't want to hear this. They don't want to use this as an excuse, and I get it. But, I mean, their head coach is spending the entire season separated from his family. Like, you can't tell me that's not impacting his his day-to-day life. So that's the one mo- I it's harder to say who's who's. Le- I mean, is there anybody who would actually say like they they don't deserve a mulligan? They're the least deserving of a mulligan. Yeah, I, I don't think in this year of where so much sacrifice and and accountability is being asked of these programs uh, and these players, especially, I don't think you, you know. I wouldn't want to go there on that. Uh, I think you made a good case for Penn State, especially as it outlined and as they've started to come on a little bit as the year went on. 
As we're uh, writing this, Bruce, the Big Ten, or as we're talking, the Big Ten just announced their Champions League schedule. Should we should we take a quick look here? Yeah. Um, when Champions Week was announced, like that they were doing that, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Two versus two, three versus three, like that could be a really cool, uh, you know, in addition to the championship game, that could be a really cool last weekend. This lineup is black. <laughs> Basically what happened was so many games got canceled that this is now more about making up the missed games like Purdue, Indiana, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, than it is actually pitting comparable teams. Like I would have loved to see, wouldn't you love to see Indiana play Iowa? Those are the I next would've. two yeah. best teams. But instead, Indiana is going to get to play their rivalry, and that's good if they can actually play. Uh, but, you know, they're not playing a good team. Iowa is playing Michigan which in most years you'd be excited about that matchup. I couldn't be less excited about it now. Uh, Michigan State's playing Maryland. That's a makeup game. Illinois is playing Penn State. That does nothing for me. Um, Nebraska's playing Rutgers. I might watch that out of sheer morbid curiosity. Um, gosh, if Rutgers wins that game, and they absolutely could, what, what, what a freakout we're going to have in Nebraska. Uh, look, I'm going to take the opposite tact and just say, hey, you know, the season seems to be winding down. I'm going to savor every college football game we get, even if there's um, just the fact that we're at this point is, is still a little bit surreal to me. So um, I'm all good on that. I'm OK with okay. these games. Well, you know, I can't argue with that. I, I More college football is always better than less. I'm not. You know, these people who are just somehow happy to see bowl games getting canceled, I don't get that at all. Um, but it just, all I'm saying is it, it was, it was, it feels like a wasted opportunity. We could have gotten some really good games in uh, beyond just the championship game. All right. Well, our last one will be from Kev, who says, Hi, gents. Shockingly, I'm newly attached to your pod and really enjoying it. Thanks, Kev. Just finished Bruce's Meat Market book. How difficult has it been for recruiting under COVID? To your knowledge, has any school coped better than others? What alternative methods have people used to build relationships beyond the obvious video style calls? Yeah, I think a lot of that, um, thank you, by the way, Kev, for the meat market shout out. I think a lot of it has been new technology and different ways to get basically, you can't have the in-person contact with players or even the in-person evaluations, but there's a lot of platforms that have, have emerged in the last year that have at least tried to fill in that space. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about the in-person evaluation. I mean, t to me, that's, that's where you're going to see probably a lot of, um, I don't say a lot of mistakes made, but it, to put it bluntly, I think that's kind of it. Uh, our friend Andy Staples did a really interesting story about a quarterback in Georgia, um, Mason Kaplan, I was blanking on his name for a second, who was 5'7 at the beginning of basically this recruiting cycle and is now almost 6'2 and has led his program, high school program, to, uh, I don't know if they're on the still on the path for a state championship, but... He's a guy, I think, at the time when Andy did his story, his best offer was Valparaiso. Or Valparaiso. I should know how to say it, right? But I don't watch as much basketball as you. But they are in the Pioneer League, which where Marist used to be. And that is not a, um, or Marist maybe so is not offer scholarships. So this could be a guy who would be a group of five player, but 
sometimes yeah, a lot of people want to eyeball a quarterback, especially in person. And that's the challenges that are going into this. Um, who are the ones who've coped better? I would say probably Ohio State and Alabama and the places that typically cope really, really well. I mean, as we're going into signing day, I have a story coming out in the next day or so on Brian Hartline, who's Ohio State's receivers coach, who just has a basically uh, landed a five-star receiver recruit a couple of days ago. But part of the story is basically um, his secret isn't much of a secret. It's just, hey, this is how I try to develop the guys in my position room. And it tries to carry over um, those relationships into what is the recruiting process. And so what I mean by that, or use that example is, I think at the core, recruiting is still going to be recruiting in terms of you still have to find a way to develop relationships and give the players and their families a feeling of what it's going to be like to if you're a part of the program. And I think those are the challenges. And if you can fill in the gaps with with Zooms and FaceTimes, and FaceTimes is something that has been a staple you know, long before the pandemic, um, I think that's something that has been really a go-to and I'm sure that still will be. It's just the evaluation part I think has gotten much murkier because of the sh- because of a lot of teams aren't able to play college football or play high school football and also because no one can be on the road. Yeah, I mean it could be a class that's just you know, a lot of bus. Um but also let's take it from the other side. Like a lot of kids are going to go sign and play at schools that they haven't even visited and um, and we expect that the transfer uh, exception will, will become, you know, in January, that they will pass that, that yeah, everybody can transfer one time and play right away. So if you made the wrong decision, if you get there and you don't like it, you can just transfer. It well, no consequences. on the flip side of that, if your school, if you're a fan of a school and they have a bunch of scholarships left over, which they may do, don't feel too bad because they're probably going to leave uh, some wiggle room to take transfers uh, to fill up roster spots. Good point. Good point. You know, one one I, I one thing I'm interested in. There, there's no way to really know this, but these days, like a lot of these players, like they start taking unofficial visits to these places when they're sophomores, and by the time they actually go to play, like they've really already been a member of the program for a while. They know all the players. They've hung out with them, um, and so they're that's missing unless. I mean, you and I aren't teenagers. Like these kids are used to being just on FaceTime with each other or Zoom or whatever. Well, they're probably not Zooming each other, but uh, they're 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 on social media. Like maybe they've already formed those bonds even without being there in person. But there's no way for us to really know that. As always, send your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com, and we will see you in a few days. Mm-hmm.